guys. Welcome to Property Players. Another episode here, guys. I'm, I'm going to be bringing you some um, great, great people onto this podcast. And today I got somebody that we just recently got, got connected, uh, but I could just tell this guy is going to be uh, a powerhouse in his industry. Um, I wanted to bring him to you so he could talk a little bit more about what he has going on and give you guys some insight on maybe some of the questions that you might have dealing with uh, mortgages and other things that are in the, the the real estate world. So without further ado, uh, Armand, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks so much for having me on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing great, doing great. I appreciate you having me here. Hey, I'm I really appreciate you. To share what we're doing out here in LA. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. Like I said, we just got connected, right? I love social media, right? So uh, I just kind of threw out, I'm, I'm, I'm in a real estate group and I threw out a little thing that said like, hey, I'm looking to do podcasts. And Armand, you're one of the first people that said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. So I could tell that you cared about your brand and, and really helping and adding value to people. So that's why I have you on, man. But I, I definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, man. So let's jump straight in. First, first and foremost, I always get this. Give me the origin story, right? Tell me about you. Like, who is Armand? Like, where you came from? Like, how, how do we get to this point? Yeah, sure thing. So, um, you know, I've been in the mortgage business for about six years now. So I've always been in banking, um, but I actually stumbled into it from the tech world. So i uh, always been in the tech world, was an IT guy when I was younger, straight out of high school, had my own business, go to people's houses, set up their computers, network, um, all the way down to home audio. Really, it's a it's a fun passion of mine. It's a hobby now. But one of my friends got me into the banking world. And, uh, you know, I, I went all the way up the ladder from, you know, doing consumer credit to HELOCs. And about five years ago, I jumped into uh, the mortgage side, which is a completely different industry from banking itself. There's so many regulations, so much terminology, so many things to learn uh, before you can even grab a concept of how it really works um, on the back end of it. So, I mean, that's, you know, I've been doing it for six years, found a mentor, you know, first year in, I didn't know what I was doing. So found a mentor and he guided me all the way up to the top. So it's a pretty great experience I've had so far. Wow. That's, that's big time. But, you know, start, start further, like the tech world, is that where you want it to be? Like growing up as a kid, you were always like, I think I want to be in tech. Like, what, what were your thoughts to get you into no, tech? It wasn't so much I wanted to be in tech. I think it was more just fun. Uh, my uncle, when, so we first came to the country. I was born in uh, Iran. I'm Armenian myself. Came to the country in 92, so I was about six years old. First thing my uncle did was, he's like, here's a computer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this box? And, and <laughs> I'm pressing buttons and, then, and there's lights. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I've never seen this before. So... He, he got it for us and, and he had me play some you know, like basic games like Atari and like Pac-Man and, and whatnot. So um, as, I, uh, as I grew to play with it, I became more curious. So I started clicking things and going into settings and clicking all the buttons next to you know, my computer would break. And my uncle and he'd get frustrated like, oh, why did you break it? So he'd come over and, and help me fix it and I'd watch it and, and I'd kind of learn from it. So my curiosity took from there. So after, you know, once I got into high school, I took a lot of computer classes and Next thing I know, I was building computers. I, I had, you know, multiple, multiple computers. and I was a big nerd. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Like, it's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with being a nerd. Funniest thing, I was, I was a jock nerd. I was playing basketball because I'm 6'6", I'm six, six, so naturally I got into basketball. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, So I was playing basketball, but I was like, after hours, I would, instead of going out and drinking with the boys, I would still hang out with them. And after I was like, all right, guys, I got to go. and go play Counter-Strike with the other group of friends. It was the funniest <laughs> thing, hybrid world. So. Hey, that, that, that's actually, that's actually good insight though, because 
I feel like I was kind of that way a bit, right? Mm-hmm. I, also, I, I also played sports. I wasn't super nerdy. I wouldn't call myself nerdy, but I was always, I always were friends with the smarter people. Right. Like I hung out with smarter people that like would be considered the nerds. Sure. Like, I, I, you know, I was an athlete. I played basketball, played water polo in high school, right? Like just, I was doing that, but like that mix, I think it's healthy, right? I think it, Absolutely. it'll say something to your success because you know how to adapt, how to balance yourself in different scenarios. So that's, that's actually good insight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, having a blend of both worlds, it allows you to see both sides and just kind of take the bo- best of them both and make yourself even better. That's you know? it. That's cool. That's cool. So, so now you're playing around with computers and you were kind of nerdy, but kind of an athlete, right? A little bit of both. And then yeah. how did you transition like out of high school? Did you go to college? Yeah. So um, out of high school, I didn't know what I was going to do. So graduated high school, didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I went and got my firefighter cert. So I was trying to be a firefighter. And in the process, something just told me it's not for me, but I still went through it because now I was becoming more of an athlete, training, lifting, and I, I just mentally, I knew I wanted to be something where it's athletic and, um, but at the same time, something's pulled me back and got into the whole computer world, worked at geek squad at Best Buy, <laughs> <laughs> I was the guy driving a little bus and bug around. And then as I did that, I realized the profit in it. And I was like, wait a second, here I am, um, getting a W2 to, to work for someone else. So I built my clientele base, left that business and did it on my own. And, you know, it just exploded from there for three years. And afterwards I started getting frustrated, not so much where um, I, I love the tech, but it was, I didn't want to make this me, um, as far as like my business, I wanted to have it for fun. So I didn't want it to, to, I didn't want to be the one where I would go to people's house and set up the network. It just, it, it wasn't fun anymore. The sure. hobby uh, became stressful and, and I wanted to leave. So one of my buddies um, worked at a, a big bank and he worked in a line of credit and credit card department. So he got me into it. I had the gift of gab and, and, you know, over the phone. So I was able to make some sales and, um, next thing you know, 2008 hit. So once 2008 hit, all the people we were contacting and, you know, offering the, the line of credits for, we were transitioning to collections. I did that for a year. Oh my gosh. The most depressing time of my life was one year doing collections. Why? People, Why? Explain it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just, it's such a horrible place to be. I'm a positive person. So here I am reaching out to people that can't afford to pay their bills, you know, for right. one reason or another, they just can't afford to pay a mortgage, whatever it is, whether they lost a job. And here I'm saying, Hey, uh, uh, can you pay me your money? And it just was so awkward to me because I wasn't one to get aggressive and say, Hey, you're late. Um, right. and I couldn't, cause I was like, I, f- I feel for the guy. He told me like, I just lost my job. I can't feed my kid. I'm like, don't pay man. Don't pay. Don't worry about the mortgage. Don't worry about the hila. Right. So it wasn't for me. And you know, it, it was just torture because I didn't know what I was going to do. So uh, got into the, the retail side of banking. So, you know, personal banking and went to business banking and processing to, to mortgages. So I stumbled into that as well. And then right around 2011 or 12, you know, one of my friends was like, why don't you just get your license and, and do origination? So I asked around, I asked my, uh, my, my boss at the big bank, cause like, Hey, I want to be a loan originator. How do I do it? And he was hesitant. He didn't want to push me in that direction. So one of my, funny enough, one of my consumers, one of my clients um, in the business banking department, mm-hmm. he owned the branch. So he calls me up one day. He's like, Hey, you know, you told me about getting into business. I'll support you. You know, I get it. You're young. You don't know about the business, but I'll match your salary. Get this. He said, I'll match your salary. Just come on board and learn the business and just stick with me. So I was super excited. 
went and got all my license, got my uh, real estate license, mortgage license, all the licenses you need to be a broker on the broker side. Yeah. So got all my licenses, call them up, say, Hey, it's been three months. You know, I'm ready. What do I do? He's like, all right, just quit your job and come work for me. So I was kind of hesitant at first, but I was like, all right, let's do it. Blindly just jump right into it. How old were you at this time? I think like 23 or 24. Wow. Yeah. It takes some guts, man. It takes some guts at 23 to be like, all right, I'm just going to leave this and just go this side. Yeah, I knew it because, you know, I had to do something because it it just, I wanted to grow, right? So I went and joined that business. And then a few months in, you know, he he assigned me to one of his managers. So he was a big head corporate guy. And he assigned me to one of the the branch managers and really cool guy, super cool. Love the guy still till now, but we just didn't resonate well together as far as business went. So I just kind of fell into this like stagnant loop of what am I doing? How do I get business? And literally for almost a year, I was just kind of hanging on by a thread mm-hmm. to the point where he just said, look, you're not performing. You got to go. So I, I literally just left and essentially I got fired. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Wow. So I just picked myself up and in and, and two weeks matter, I started hitting the streets and prospecting and trying to get business. And next thing you know, I stumbled onto my current, mentor Walid, um, of course i still work from and i went to him like look you know i hear you're doing great i see you're doing great i, I go to his office and i would see he had stacks of files on his desk i'm like what are these he's like oh these are like six loans i just got today like, you had six loans today and here i am i haven't even done two all year right so you know i got really excited i was like you know i have to work for you like i don't care what it takes i have to work for you he's like no i'm not looking to hire anyone and like dude just just I won't even, you don't pay me. Just let me sit by you and listen to you pick up the phone calls. So um, eventually I got his attention. So he's like, meet me at the gym at 5 a.m. And and you can ask me your questions. So literally here I am from going, going home at 3 a.m. from hanging out with all my friends to waking up at 3 a.m. to make it to the gym at five. So it's just complete life shift, right? That's so crazy. I I, want to stop you there because I think listeners can get some value if there's anybody listening that wants to get into the real estate game or mortgages or loans or anything that's that's around real estate. Like your hustle, like what you're willing to do to get your foot in the door is is everything. Right. Yeah. And people don't understand that you have a perfect, a perfect testament to that, that like you, once you saw success, once you saw someone that was successful in front of you, you said, I'll do whatever it takes to get in the door because I know that this person could lead me to where I want to be. Right. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. It. I sacrificed everything. I mean, when I say everything, um, I mean, just friendships and relationships. Here I am, you know, was a social guy hanging out with all these people to cutting them to zero where I didn't want to go out anymore because my focus, it would throw off my focus. All I wanted to do was originate, originate, originate. So, you know, just follow along, listen to him. And within a year, you know, I was, I was doing good for myself. And second year, third year came in and, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good for myself, of course. So it, it was a struggle at first, but now it got me to a position where I'm a lot better. Oh. And what was different was he had the philosophy of learning everything inside out. So he's like, look, I'll, I'll teach you all of it, but you have the sales, but you don't need to learn the sales. You need to learn how to underwrite. So to the point where the loan origination process, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a fun industry. So, and what I mean by that is there's so complex and so many layers of underwriting that when you, when you're talking to someone, it's almost where your mind shifts in a different way, where 
the questions you're asking are for certain reasons. So I'll talk to someone and I'll be, you know, having a conversation with them like, oh, what do you do for work? Great. So, so you're a nurse, you have overtime income. And in my head, I'm processing all these things because you have to know all these different layers of guidelines to make sure that they could fit in the box, right? Mm -hmm. Or where you would want to put them. So he had me actually take an underwriting course. So essentially, I'm, I guess I'm a technically an underwriter, but I don't have my certs. Uh, and it helped me to be who I am now today. So when I'm talking to people and I'm in these meetings and, and here I'm talking to a, a CPA, for example, a CPA and a client, and I'm in the same room and here I'm throwing out words like on oh, your S corp line 19, you know, what did you write off? And the CPA's like, what, what, how do you know all this? I'm like, dude, I, it's my business. I have to. And, and it, it really resonates well with them and, and it helps me get more business and helps me add more value to the clients because we're able to structure deals better. So Absolutely. that's, it kind of fell into my niche. Um, so I work with a lot of self-employed borrowers gotcha. that because of that, I fell into my underwriting. I don't want to say background, my, my knowledge of, of guidelines gotcha. uh, and underwriting fell into a lot of uh, self-employed borrowers. So, okay. Uh, take a step back, Armand. Take a step back. What's your actual title right now? Just for the listeners. So yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm a little loan originator. So when, whenever you're looking to buy a home, okay. I'm the one who is able to guide you into the right programs from A to Z. So the moment you want to get a home, you have to get pre-proved. That's where I come in. I, I help you. I look over your financials. I structure you and I set you up with a pre-approval and we find out what your payments and down payment uh, is for you and figure out what's the best options. And um, we find your threshold. So once you have that pre-approval letter, you're able to go out and shop for a home. So I when, come to you first, right? If I'm, if, if, I'm a, if I'm about to get into the market of buying a home, I would come to you first to say, hey, how much can I afford to look at the home or do I come to you afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's kind of a mix of both. People really don't want to think about the financing. So if I'm looking for a home, the financing to me is just like, whatever, I want, I want the house, right? So they start looking for houses. And once they start looking at houses is when they get directed to me. Um, and, and they're like, hey, look, you saw a couple homes. You need to find out if you can finance it, you know, if you can qualify for these homes and, and if it's within your means. So otherwise you're spinning your wheels. You're just looking at these beautiful homes. You're falling in love and essentially wasting your time because you don't know if this home can be the right fit for you, right? Sure. So they get directed to me. I talk to them. Um, now I have a staff, of course, that helps me out in the process. So I intake them. I ask the right questions. I get a feel for what they're trying to do. And the tedious stuff, the paperwork of getting all the paperwork in, my staff helps me to allow me to dedicate more time my to, to helping out the clients. So once the, the paperwork comes in, I review it. I see what they could qualify for. Um, that matches the guidelines. And from there we go on to the different programs and we do. What, what do you look for? Am I like, like get specific with me? Like what, like when that, that comes out, like what are you looking for to know how much someone can afford and not afford for, for, for their mortgage? Yeah, absolutely. We look at a few things and this is across the board with any bank for anyone that wants a loan credit, your down payment and your debt to income ratio. Okay. Right. So first thing is credit. We look at the credit, we either ask the question or we, we pull it depending on what situation it is. And typically, ideally, I mean, the higher the score, the better, but we're able, funny enough, we're able to finance people with FICO's credit scores all the way down as low as 580. Wow. It's huge. So if I see you're at 580, we'll, we can look at it because I've seen enough credit reports where I can tell you here, make a couple of moves and you'll be at 620, right? Not a professional credit analyst, right. but I've done it enough where I can kind of tell you like, Hey, pay off this credit card. That's like 500 bucks right. that you've been carrying for six months and your score is going to go up. Right. So we'll, we'll plan it whether it's short term or long term. So this credit kind of getting off, off topic. So this credit, there's the down payment. The next question is, well, how much can you commit to cash out of pocket? And then what are you going to have left over in your savings account? So if you have a hundred thousand dollars to your name, 
I'm not going to have you take a hundred thousand and put it towards a house and leave you living paycheck to paycheck. That's the last thing I'd want to do. Sure. I would want to make sure that you have at least six months to a year in reserves, making sure that if you lose your job or if you're in a transition, you have a cushion, you're not stressing. Right. Right. So there's credit, there's down payment, and then there's debt to income ratio. This is the biggest one. A lot of people make a lot of money and, you know, W2. So self-employed people and, and employees make a lot of money, but the problem is underwriting guidelines see income in a different way. Right. So as a self-employed person, let's, let's, let's talk about self-employed for a second. Sure. If I'm making a hundred thousand dollars gross income, mm-hmm. but I have all my write-offs, my driving, my, my meals and entertainment. So if I'm taking people out to lunch and at the end of the day, I have a net income of $40,000. Well, that's the income we're using to qualify you for a home. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that $40,000 your, is your income that we're using is the income we're using. So the way we qualify you is called debt to income ratio. And the way it works is, we take the mortgage payment that you're looking for. So let's just say you want a house that the payment's $3,000 a month. Mm-hmm. We add in any expenses that you have that are monthly that are on your credit report, such as a car payment, such as um, student loans or credit card debt. We take all that, we add it up. So we have your mortgage payment, car payment, student loans. Let's just say that's 4000 a month. We want to make sure that is 43% of your income. So we is want to make sure a, you're, is that is that forty three percent like a standard industry number? Is that specific for you? Yeah, no, it's a standard industry number. So that's um, set in guidelines by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and and most private investors for those larger loans, also known as jumbo, mm-hmm. they all follow that guideline. Now there is what's called uh, compensating factors, where because you have good credit, because you have a lot of cash reserves, we can most of the time push you up to fifty percent. Maybe sometimes even more, depending on the loan program, where you're able to qualify for a bigger, bigger home, more purchasing power. But then that comes with a second conversation. Well, even though if I could qualify you, are you sure this is the best decision buying this home when you're using 50% of your income on this home? So we have these talks and we plan for it. But I like it. I like the self-employed side is because it allows me to kind of get creative, you know? So on the self-employed side, there's most people don't know this, but you can actually add back in certain expenses. So let's say you're driving, you know, whatever the case miles is. Well, Fannie Mae says you can add 23 cents per mile. So you just add those miles back in and the income just grew where if they go to a big bank, they're, they're really a tight box and, and they don't qualify. And they call me and I'm like, yeah, you know, 700,000, that's not a problem. We can get you up to 1.1 million. Right. And they get really excited and they tell all their friends and next thing you know, I'm mingling with all these business owners and, you know, and it's fun because I get to see what they do for a living and, and, you know, and just have basically almost make friends in a sense. Absolutely. And there's, there's, and you articulated that well, but on the last part of that, as far as networking, right, that's what, that's how you grow business anyway, right? Right. Anybody that cares about growing business, once you do something well for somebody, a client, a customer, whomever it is, they're going to put, they're going to refer you. They're going to get you into their circles. You're going to continue to build and network and shake hands and build relationships because that's how you build business, regardless of what industry you're in. That's how you build business. So that's awesome. It sounds like, right? Like, do you educate your clients? Obviously when they come in, you're having educational talks with them or normally people know what they want when they come in. Uh, A little bit of both for uh, people that have homes before, I kind of gauge it and give the knowledge they want. So if I'm talking to someone and they've had a few properties under their belt, I'm not going to start talking about what closing costs are. I'm going to give them an idea of, well, your closing costs are 10,000 and they know what it is. But if someone's, it's a first time home buyer, Mm. 
I'm going to take a moment and pause and explain to them, well, it's not just 10,000, but where is that money going? Who is it going to? Why are you paying $10,000 to buy a home and just fees, right? So the conversations cater to the each person individually. So if someone's coming to me, first time ever, never bought a home, I'm going to tell them, look, you're buying a house. You have to pay taxes. You have to pay insurance. There's something called supplemental taxes that no one even knows about that you get a bill in the mail in six months for three grand and you're going to freak out if you don't plan for that. So there's so many parts to it where you have to break down and explain that I like to just pause and kind of break it down to them and explain essentially. Absolutely. Do, do you believe that because of what you just said, do you believe that everyone should buy a home? Like even if you can qualify them or meaning like they can get right a mortgage at some point, do you believe that everyone deserves the, but like should, should buy a home? I mean, deserve. Absolutely. I mean, everyone deserves a home. Everyone deserves, you know, to have a home, of course, but it's just a matter of being able to, to qualify for it. So should everyone buy a home? Yes, absolutely. Cause it's a great investment, but it's kind of a relative question to, to someone. What if someone makes a lot of money, but they just don't care. You know, I have friends that make a ton of money and they have one house. They're cash flowing so much where of course they're self-employed. And I tell them all the time, cause this guy's buying sports cars all the time. And I'm like, dude, you just spent a hundred thousand dollars on a sports car. Sure. Take that money. Just, just take that money. Let's put it into a property and let it cash flow. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. And you know, <laughs> you can't beat them down. You can only advise them so much, but if they're happier at the end of the day, if they're happier yeah. with a sports car and one home, I mean, yeah, that's, that's it. You know, I think, and I think that's the point. I think that's actually, I'm on the point that I was going to get to is I sit down right on the financial side. I sit down with a lot of people and just ask them about goals and dreams in life, right? Like, what do you want to get to? What's the retirement picture look like? You know, protection, kids, all that type of stuff. But then normally, man, I'd probably say 85% of the people I sit down with, when I ask them what their next goal is, it's always to buy a home. 85%, right? It's, I'm going to buy a home. But is that home going to make you happy or is that just the thing that you think you need to have? That's always right. the, the debate, right? Like, what do you really need a home for? I'm a big proponent of renting, right? Like, I rent, right? right. Not, not because I couldn't afford to, to buy a house. Honestly, yes, that because we are self-employed also, right? That actually has bitten us in the butt a couple of times, the fact that we write off a lot on our taxes, right? So our, our AGI every, every year is a lot lower than what we actually make. And, you know, the first couple of years, that's always been an issue because we weren't showing enough. So yes, that, that was a little bit of a hiccup, but just in general, our mindset, me and my wife, our mindset is we can just rent so that we're not locked down. So we don't have to worry about the insurance, the taxes, the extra money and just kind of do it. But like, I think a lot of Americans, they're attached to home buying. They're attached, right. to like, I got to have this thing. And then I'm always curious as to, like, why? Like, why do you have to have that thing? So I think you hit the nail on the head that it is about happiness, right? If, if it makes you happy because you can have that house and it makes you feel good about owning, great. If it's Absolutely. Not, not for you, you know? And it's funny because sometimes I'll have these conversations because just you nailed it. It's sometimes it's not the best idea to buy a house. Right. And I'll explain that. So some people come to me, okay, and you have these young entrepreneurs, 28, 30 years old, or, or even just uh, employed people, engineers, or whoever it is that's making decent money in LA, should yeah. I say, to, to buy a house. <laughs> and we'll get into that as far as the topic of buying a house in LA. Yeah. But so these people come to me and, and they're saying, I want to buy a house and we just got married. I want to buy a house. I want to grow up my kids. And I'll have these conversations with them and I'll open their mind. I'll say, well, listen, 
you want to buy this house, you're going to use 80,000 of your, your, your money and you're going to put it down and buy this house. It's great. This is how much it's going to appreciate your net worth in 10 years is going to be $400,000. That's great. Awesome. But let's take a step back. Your rent, you, you're locked in for an apartment that's $1,100 a month, right? You're going to lose that and you're going to pay three grand a month on a mortgage. You're going to have a house. That's awesome. It's a great investment. But what if we just switch it a little bit and get you to buy a four unit complex? Okay. Same price. Don't live in it. Rent it out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in 10 years, that 400,000 is going to be a million dollars. It's going to pay for itself. The cash is going to come in, keep saving. Okay. And in five years, when you want to buy your next property, why don't we make that the house you live in when you're a little older, you have extra cash and we can get you into a nicer house, bigger house. And, and it blows their mind. Like, Oh my gosh, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. So then we convert them from buying a single family residence into a multi-unit or even a, an income generating property. Absolutely. So I, I spark the, the interest and I let them lead the direction. So if I tell them that idea and they say, no, I want a house by all means. Okay, cool. Sure. As long as it showed you that. Right. As long as I showed you that option and you want that single family residence, let's do it. Let's find the home of your dreams. Let's let's get you, you know, grass backyard, a pool, whatever it takes to make sure that you're happy. That's good, man. That's good. And that's that's the again, hitting the nail on the head every time, Armand. Like right. I believe real estate as an investment, amazing. Right? right. You got you gotta have it. Real yeah. estate as a place that you're just going to live, like own and live there, you know. It's hit or miss. I don't know that everyone needs that, but it's good that you have that conversation with people. Um, what, what are you finding in your industry right now is like the biggest challenge? Like what's what's going on right now with with, with loans and, and, and... Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at it from a business perspective, this year, overall, we've closed less loans than last year. And that's interesting why. So we're talking to more people. We've taken more applications. But the problem is there's less inventory and there's a lot of buyer fatigue. So what's happening in LA is kind of an isolated situation. It might happen in certain pockets of you know United States and different cities. But what's happening is everybody wants to live in Los Angeles. <laughs> Everyone. It's crazy. And a lot of people can afford it and a lot of people can't. So it's kind of, in essence, a, a property pops up on the market. Before, you know, you'd have 10 offers on this home. Now you have 60, 50, 60 offers on the same home. So it's hard to, you know, it's hard to qualify for this home. You really have to be the, the person making all this money and yeah, go way above the, what's the property's worth in a sense. So what's happening is there's a lot of buyer fatigues. They're getting frustrated. They're saying, well, now the interest rates are rising. I'll wait a year and I'll wait for a crash. Again, no one really has a, a magic crystal ball and I can predict a crash in, in the next year, but from what I'm seeing, from my perspective, the economy is doing amazing, right? The stock market is doing great. The bond market is doing great. The rates, and that's causing the rates to go up because we want to slow down the economy and not cause it to burn and crash. Right. So the Fed is slowly increasing the rate to make sure that it, it slows down the economy to a point where it's it grows progressively, not too sure. fast, right? Sure. So by doing that, the, the cost of buying a home goes up and, and basically any debt that you have that's you know federally guaranteed goes up as well. Um, but what I'm trying to say is as interest go up, people are thinking, well, you know, I'll just wait till next year. But if you wait till next year, prices aren't going to come down. If this was in the market where, um, the, the loans that we're writing are bad and you know, we had a high foreclosure rate, but foreclosure rates are so low that people can afford these homes that they're buying They They qualify for these homes. No one's going, you know, bankrupt on these properties. So 
What I'm predicting, this is what I see, is uh, in the next year, there's going to be a shift where it's going to kind of slow down. People are like wonder what's going on. Mm. Like, should I buy? Should I wait? The million-dollar home is not going to drop to 800, 700, 600,000. There might be a little fluctuation where that $1 million home sits on the market for an extra couple of weeks and gets accepted at 980 or maybe worst case 950, but you're not going to see a crash. LA is just too hot of a market. It's too dense and it, there's not going to be a crash coming. There's going to be a, an adjustment period and buyer fatigue of people wanting to wait and just to see what happens. And then it's going to be back to normal again. Similar to San Francisco. I mean, I, I financed a borrower. I kid you not. In, in San Francisco, an 800 square foot house, horrible condition, right? Again, she was doing it for investment purposes. Okay. I kid you not, bought it for, this is a year ago, $1.2 million. Okay. Did you say, did you say 800 square feet? 800 square feet, $1.2 million. Okay. She remodeled it. We're actually in the process of cashing out some funds right now. We just appraised it, $1.9 million. That is ridiculous. <laughs> that's San Francisco. That's so, crazy. And in essence, we're, we're kind of, I don't want to say on track to get there, but it's just kind of putting it into perspective where LA's an amazing market. If you buy now, it's, and you have equity in the future. You're, you're never gonna, you're never gonna lose. Sure. So if you look at it in a 30 year perspective, let's just say you buy a house here, you start appreciating, appreciating again in 10 years. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just, let's just say there's going to be a crash. Something happens. It's going to go down. Your point was here, it might go below it, but it's going to keep going back up. And then always, always, it'll just, it's like a mountain. It'll always fluctuate up, but as time goes by, it's going to go up because of inflation, you know, denser population. It's always going to be a better investment. Sure. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. But are you saying that like, you don't think that there'll be a crash? There'll just be a correction, like a slight correction? Because from what we see on the financial side, right, like nine years of economic prosperity, right, since 2008, basically, it started to come back up, 2009 started to come back up. We just know typically, right, every seven years, point to point, you're going you're gonna to get a correction. And we're, right. just, we're just overdue for that correction. The question is, right, how much of a correction is it exactly. Because there's so many factors that come into it. Mm -hmm. um, there might be a correction in a different state or a different city or certain pockets of Los Angeles, but Los Angeles, it's, it's its own animal in a sense. Because, it, again, I, I keep coming back to the reason of it's so dense. It's so many people want to live here that it's kind of protected by that factor. Got it. If, if I go out of the state or if I go outside of Los Angeles, maybe 100 miles towards Riverside County or even past that, mm -hmm. yes, you might see a larger correction, but because Los Angeles is protected by so many people wanting to move in, it's not going to be affected as badly. Got it. So, so you're basically saying like LA, is, it's its own beast, right? If someone's listening from Kansas, right, that might not apply to them. It, the market may correct really horribly for them, but right. like for LA, you're, you guys will be good because of the way that LA runs and everybody wants to be there. It's popularity, right. it's home value, all that stuff, right? Absolutely. That makes sense, Absolutely. man. That makes sense. Tell me, what, what, is, what, what advice would you give someone to pick a good loan originator, like a, like a good more loan, loan person? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I get that question all the time, of course. So people ask me like, well, why should I work with you and not someone else? And I tell them, look, you know, you're welcome to talk to other people. And in fact, I want you to I encourage it because I want to make sure you work with someone that you're happy with. So mm -hmm. have a conversation with me, call the next person in line, have a conversation with them, pick the person that 
you're happy with, that you vibe with, that you have a connection with. Sometimes that might not be the best fit for you, right? Now, is it is it all about the connection or are there like different, like can you do different things than another loan? Great, great question. So myself, I'm in a position where we're brokers and we're lenders in a sense. So we can either use our own funds or broker the loan to other banks. Mm-hmm. So when a consumer comes to us, we either have the standard Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac products or we go outside of the box and do what's called non-QM, like stated loans, someone that just shows really bad tax returns. Well, we have programs for them to qualify with just uh, PL statements or bank statements and we use that as income. So we have a lot of products. Interest rates are you know, very competitive, but it's really about the connection as well because someone that wants to sh- essentially hear other people's conversations and just to see what else is out there, you're welcome to. Um, they might go down the street and have a conversation and see if the loan office is just quoting a better rate and they're really rate sensitive. It, and it might be just a payment of $30 difference. And for some reason, most of the time we can match it, but for some reason, I just can't. If you don't find the value in what we do and you want to save $30 a month, by all means, dude, I respect that. Go to go to the bank down the street and, and let them take care of you. As long as they get the job done, I'm happy with that. That's cool, man. That's cool. As we get a chance to wrap up a bit, like this is one topic that I always bring up on the podcast to really talk about for, for people in the industry. How has social media changed your industry or how is it changing the, the loan industry? Right, right. Staying in touch. So being in this business of, of sales, there is no salary. It's strictly closing loans. And, and that's when we get our compensation after we fund these loans. So um, the more people we're in touch with, the more we're top of mind. So there's only so many things you could do. I could send a mailer to someone, I can call them up, but there's always that certain connection you can't reach without social media. Sure. Well, social media, what it does is it allows you to be front front stage all the time by posting videos, doing podcasts, it allows you to be in front of more people, you know, more times. And, and to, funny enough, I'll give you an example. About a year ago, my dad calls me up. He's like, Ormond, you know, uh, I, I was thinking about refinancing the house and I was talking to this loan officer and he was, t- he was quoting me. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> That's what I do. He's like, yeah, I know. But, you know, he, he actually is a, through a friend. He called me. And he's like, and it hit me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here's my own dad. Your own dad. Not calling me for a loan because I don't. I'm not in front of him all the time. I'm not saying I do loans because when I hang out with them, I never talk about the loan business. I'm just, right. you know, hanging out with them. Right. But. Now I put it into perspective, like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. Now I need to preach loans everywhere I go, right? So yeah. it made that made the difference for me. That's big. That's big. A lot of people don't understand that, but it's so true, right? Like you saw it yeah. from a person in your own family, but it happens, right? You'll get friends and people that are close to you that choose to go with another person just because they talk to them first. That bas- yeah. That's basically what it came down to, right? Like they just talk to them first. Not that they love you less or don't support you or don't care about you. It Absolutely. literally is a matter of convenience. And that's what social media does. I'm, I'm a firm believer. I love social media. I believe right. it's disrupting every industry. Um, and the people that choose to get on board with the wave, right? They won't, they, they won't be wiped out. There's certain people that are trying to fight the wave as if it's not like a huge tidal wave coming and they're just right. saying, oh, I can pass it. No, you can't. This thing is going to take you over. So you better get good at it, right? Hence why we're doing this podcast. Again, it's to give you guys value, all the listeners, people that are out there. It's, it's, this is giving value. This is making sure that right. you understand that we know the, the things that you struggle with. If you have questions, concerns, you know who to go to in order to get your questions answered. So that's, it's a big point, man. It's a big point. 
as we wrap up, this is my my fine my final question for you, right? Where where do you see the the loan industry going? Do you see it being disrupted? Do you see it staying taking the same course? What changes are about to happen? What do we need to be aware of? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and again, this is going from a business perspective. I see a lot of automation coming in right now. There's a lot of players that are stepping into the market and trying to automate it, but it's just so complex and there's a lot of paperwork that. It won't work for everybody, the automation. So the first thing I see, you have a loan originator, you have processing, you have underwriting, and that's just the the team that's needed to be able to facilitate a loan. Loan originators are not going to be the first to go. It's going to be more of a processing side because as automation comes in, the paperwork is automated. So instead of having a manual person enter, enter data entry, the computer is going to come in, software is going to be built where it's able to comprehend documentation and maybe even not require documentation at all, just electronically reach out to banks and and employers and collect the data and allow it to basically pre-approve a client. Uh, But you'll still still need the loan officer as far as relationship goes to walk the person through. But a lot of automation coming into the business, a lot of automation, it makes it streamlined. It cuts away the margins and, and allows the consumer to get better programs, better rates. So it's better for the industry overall. And I see it across the board in all different industries. A lot of automation coming in, it allows the profit margins to get smaller. Look what Amazon did, right? They destroyed mm-hmm. all the different retail markets and allowed the consumer to buy things that are more affordable. Yes, it does get, you know, it, it does hurt jobs, but you know, it's kind of a, a progressive mindset. And and I have that, but it's kind of a mix. I don't know. I have mixed feelings are about you it. Using, are you using it? Are you testing it out and using it in your business? Oh, now? absolutely. I'm using okay. a lot of technology. Again, big tech guy here. So right. we <laughs> a lot of automation. We have a system. So, uh, and I want to keep it short. So we have a financials come in, right? If it's self-employed borrowers and they have multiple corporations, multiple properties, it takes hours to collect all that data and to put it onto what we could use as income. Now we, we picked up the software where we plug in all that data into the software and within an hour, it kicks out the data that I need, where it was to take me six hours to do, it's kicking it out in one hour. Wow. So that software, and of course you double check the work, but it, it, it's a huge help to us. Sure. It's a very expensive piece of software, but we're able to get it and it's amazing. It's, it's helped us out so much where it allows me to just go out and, and talk to more people while on the back end, I'm getting email alerts income done, income done, income done on all these files. So it's really helpful. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And again, firm believer that technology, social media, those things are improving what it is that, that we do. And, um, I know that if your industry is going to get disrupted, that you just got to be ahead of the curve. And Armand, it sounds like you're, you're ahead of the curve. So, um, let, let the people know how to find you, where to find you on social, where to, where to get in touch with you. So if they need, uh, you know, to start the, the home buying process or right, the, the investment side process, who's, who they're coming to for their loans. Absolutely. Uh, go to uh, getmepreapproved.com. Uh, it's my website. Uh, it allows you to log in, plug in your uh, info or reach out to me, getmepreapproved.com. Uh, that's my website. So uh, check it out. And if you have any questions, you know, you're welcome to reach out to me or Chris, of course, on, on, on the investment sides as well. Uh, one, and I, and I get, have all these sparks of uh, ideas. One thing I wanted to leave with was a short glimpse of how to buy a home in LA because the home prices are so expensive. Yeah. One thing I've been really recommending to people is look into properties that have an income generating back house. So because in LA it's legal now to have a granny pod, I've been recommending it to a few people and this is to the the younger generation where they're not married or they live on their own and and they like the idea. 
um, let's just say again, a $600,000 house, you qualify for it, but you don't qualify for 750. Well, if we find you a house that's $750,000 that has a back garage that's converted into a house legally with permits, we could use the income from potential income that's going to be generated from someone living there to help you qualify. So now you just bumped up from 650 to 750 because you're going to rent out that back house. So we're using that to help you qualify for a bigger home, more expensive home, something that's is going to have even a backward, better uh, return on equity for you in the future. That's big time. So that was a nugget, guys. I'm, I'm glad Armand left you with that nugget. But that's a nugget for anybody that lives out in the LA area or is looking to live out there, which seems like a lot of people, right? Look for that income generating property, something with a back house, and it'll actually help you get approved because they'll be able to tack it on. So that's awesome, man. You have a, you, you, you have another nugget in, in, in there that you wanted to tell people about? No, ask, don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, um, that's what we're here for. Ask as, as many questions as you like. It, it makes me more comfortable, more happy knowing that there's no hesitation and, and there's full transparency because it's such a big investment. It's one of the biggest purchases you're going to make in, in your life. It's not a car right? It's, it's a house. So ask questions. Don't be intimidated. Um, after we have a conversation, I always uh, tell this to all my clients, as soon as we hang up the phone, about 10 questions are going to come on, uh, you know, come on top of your mind, mm-hmm. write them down, write them down. If you have to on a piece of paper in your iPhone in the note section and just literally email it to me or text it to me and let me help you understand everything. And I tell that to everyone, ask a lot of questions. It's the only way to learn, guys, is if you ask questions. Armand, yeah. I, re- I really appreciate your time today, brother. I'm, I'm excited that uh, we got a chance to connect and do this. Obviously, we'll continue to stay connected. And um, for all the listeners out there, right, feel free to reach out to Armand. It'll probably, I'll probably link up uh, your website down here so you'll find a place for it. But make sure you go see him if you have any of those questions. And uh, Armand, enjoy the rest of your day, man. Chris, you too, my man. Thanks so much, guys. We're signing off for Property Players. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.